Good morning, H2O. Uh, if you haven't met me, my name is Caleb, and I'm on staff here with H2O. Uh, it is Mother's Weekend, correct? Right? So moms are here. All right. All right. Um, today we're going to continue on in our series in Acts, uh, like we have been from the beginning of the fall semester. So if you have been with us since the first week in the fall, we have uh, walked almost entirely through the book of Acts, and we'll finish on May 1st, actually. Um, so that's kind of a, a cool thing we're doing as a church. And, you know, sometimes when you go through a book like this, you'll see things that either repeat or some major themes in the book of Acts. And, you know, you can kind of break Acts into three different sections. So there's the beginning section where the church is established. So Jesus is still around, then he ascends, and he sends the Holy Spirit, and Peter and different people start the early church. Okay, that's kind of the first third of it. And then the second third, you kind of are focused on Paul, his missionary journeys, and planting churches. And then we're in the third section where uh, Paul is either in jail or defending himself against different uh, accusations that the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem have made against him. So this is kind of what we're seeing in the patterns of, uh, of you know, Acts in these, these three sections. Um, so that's what we're seeing as we're going through the book of Acts. So for the rest of the book, we will see Paul defending himself against various Roman officials and people like that. So if, if you haven't been with us for the past two Sundays, here's just kind of a recap of what we've seen. We've seen that Paul returns to Jerusalem after being away on these different missionary journeys, and then uh, he is falsely accused of starting a riot, and then uh, he is imprisoned, and now he is about to be brought before a Roman official because he's a Roman citizen. So he has that right. So that is where we're at. Uh, that's just the 30-second catch-up version of it. Um, so, so Paul is in jail. He's about to be brought before a Roman official. So we have a courtroom scene here. So there's going to be a prosecution from the Jewish leaders. There's going to be a defense from Paul. And then there's going to be the verdict from the Roman official named Felix. That's kind of the flow of our text today. So we'll be in Acts chapter 24, starting in verse 1, and if you have one of the blue Bibles in front of you, I believe it's page 544 is where that will be at as well. So it will be in Acts chapter 24, starting in verse 1. All right, Acts 24, verse 1 says this, And after five days the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and a spokesman, one Tertullius. They laid before the governor the case against Paul, and when he had been summoned, Tertullius began to accuse him, saying, since though, you, since though we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation, in every way and everywhere we accept this with all gratitude. But to detain you no further, I beg in your kindness to hear us briefly, for we have found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world, and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to find out uh, from him about everything of which we accuse him. The Jews also joined in the charge, affirming that all these things were so. So we'll just stop there really quick. So this is the prosecution, if you will. So the, the, the prosecution is from the high priest and other Jewish leaders. Um, and they're talking about how, oh, Felix, you're so great. You're such a great leader. And they're just buttering up. You know, I'm sure lawyers to this day still do this to judges, butter them up to get them more on their side. But pretty much everything in the prosecution is a lie. We know from the previous chapters that Paul did not start a riot, okay? This was a trumped-up charge. The Jews started the riot to uh, accuse Paul of this and get him thrown in jail and try and kill him, 
Okay, so we know that's true. But we also know that Felix is not a guy who's known for his peaceful ruling in, uh, in the Jerusalem area, okay? He's known for being very harsh. He plays fast and loose with capital punishment, okay? He, if there's a riot, he's like, okay, we're going to kill all the people responsible and some of the people that are their friends because he wants to crush the rebellion as soon as he can. He's not known for peace, okay? And he's not known uh, as a particularly liked uh, official by the Jewish leaders either. So everything they're saying is a lie. So the prosecution lying through their teeth the entire time, okay? So we'll pick up with the defense in response to the prosecution in verse 10. And verse 10 says, And when the governor had nodded to him to speak, Paul replied, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. You can verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went to worship in Jerusalem. And they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way, which they call a sect, <clears throat> I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection both of the just and the unjust." So, I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. Now, after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. While I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult. But some of the Jews from Asia, they ought to be here before you, and to make an accusation, they should have, uh, and they should have anything against me. Or else... Let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council. Other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them, it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. And then we'll stop here again real quick. So Paul is a smart guy. He's, he's, he's giving his defense here saying, everything they're saying is a lie. You can ask people that were there. There are witnesses to verify what I'm saying is true. And if these guys are really going to bring a charge against me, they should be here to uh, do it themselves. You know, they have the, he's saying he has the right to, you know, stand against the one accusing him, kind of like what we have in the United States here today. Um, so he, he's saying, I have a right to see the people accusing me and respond to them. Okay. Um, and he's pretty much just bringing up what happened in chapter 23 of when he brought up the resurrection of the dead. So there's two groups in Judaism. One believed in the resurrection of the dead, one didn't. And he brought this up to kind of divide and conquer and get them to argue with one another so he could get out of this type of uh, situation of these trumped-up charges. So, so he's, he's admitting, hey, this riled them up, but you know, half of the guys who are here today, the Pharisees, they believe in the resurrection of the dead. So why should they bring up this charge of starting something against me? Because they're on my side. So it, he's bringing up a very smart defense of saying, these guys don't really have anything on me, and they agree with me, essentially. Um, so, so we have this prosecution and defense laid out, and now let's head to the results from the Roman official Felix. Um, but before we do that, do we have any people who are Harry Potter fans here? Do we have people who like Harry Potter, okay? Are we familiar with Felix Felicis? Do we know what that is? Okay, it's the potion that Harry takes to uh, be lucky, essentially. So Felix, his name here means happy, and then Felicis means lucky. So happy, lucky is the name of the potion, if you will. So that's just a fun fact for you there, um, but <laughs> doesn't necessarily relate to this directly, but because but, I was wondering what Felix meant because it was the potion. I was like, why is this? I've seen Harry Potter way too much, 
And it's not my fault, it's my wife's fault because she always watches it when she edits photos. So, you know, just saying, it's not me. But, to bring, but this does connect to Felix because he was, bear with me, but Felix changed his name to Felix, actually. He had a different name before this. And Felix means happy, right? And so he changed it after he was freed from slavery, okay? And so it's kind of an interesting juxtaposition because Felix is such a harsh leader, even on the people that uh, that he rules over, even though he was once a slave here. So it's kind of an interesting dynamic that plays into it as well. So we'll pick up with Felix's response in verse 22. And and Acts 24, 22 says this, But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, When Lysias, the tribune, comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty, and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. And at that same time, he hoped that money would be given to him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison." All right, so we have an interesting result. Neither side necessarily gets what they want here, okay? They, they, the Jews want to kill Paul, so they didn't really get what they want. He's still in prison. And then, you know, if you're Paul, you probably want to get out of prison, right? So he didn't really get what he wants. He kind of is in this weird middle position. But Felix is playing the political game here. He wants the Jews on his side, and so he's taking the middle ground of, you know, not making anyone too angry at him. That's what he's kind of doing here. But what I really want to focus on today is verses 22 through 27, and I think it's a really interesting section. You know, last week, Daryl talked about being faithful to the calling that God has for us, and um, I think this is what we see Paul doing here. You know, Paul was called to be an apostle and go plant churches and to share the gospel, and we all have a similar calling in that we're called to go make disciples of all nations, like Matthew 28 talks about. Um, so, so he's being faithful even in this extreme situation. You know, Paul is proclaiming the good news to Felix even when their stakes are high. Um, and I think Luke here just does a, a quick summation of what he t- he's talking about. You know, he talks about judgment, righteousness, those type of things. And I think Luke is, is trying to save time here uh, and, and sum that up with that. But I think uh, Paul is giving a, a good gospel explanation here. And just to clear up any confusion, in verse 22, we see Felix has a rather accurate knowledge of the way. So the way is what they would call the early church at this time. Um, you know, some people are like, Jesus said, you know, he's the way, the truth, and the life, and that is why they call it the way. But that, that's, we can't necessarily prove that one way or another, but we know that they labeled the early church the way. Um, but, you know, it, it, the, the Greek here is really interesting in verse 22, this rather accurate terminology. Its a connotation is that like, he's very meticulous and he knows details about the way. So, so Felix truly knows details about the early church, okay? He, he knows what he's talking about to a degree here. So Felix knows about the early church and some of what they believe, and he chooses not to kill Paul because he knows the facts. Um, 
So we see Felix and his wife want to hear more about what Paul has to say after his, uh, his trial. And, and Paul is fearless here. He is calling out Felix's sin directly. Um, he talks about righteousness and self-control, okay? Felix is not a guy known for his self-control. Like I talked about earlier with revolts and crushing them, he is very harsh, and he doesn't hold himself back. He, he, he lets his anger take over in those situations, okay? But also, as far as his self-control, his, his wife, Drusilla, here, he has multiple wives, uh, two of them are, are said to be named Drusilla as well, which is kind of a, just a strange fact about him. Um, but this wife in particular, she um, was married to another man when they met. So they were at a party, and they, he saw her from across the room, and he was like, man, she is so beautiful, I have to have her as my wife. And then he finds out that she is this uh, another man's wife here, and so what he says is like, okay, I'm not just going to let things lie. I am going to go and convince my friend who's a magician to convince her to leave her current husband and then go marry him. And he succeeds somehow. I don't, it doesn't seem like a good plan, but it succeeds, okay? And so then he marries this lady named Drusilla, uh, who was, and it causes their divorce to happen without any actual you know, reason behind it other than he likes her. And so it's just, you know, he can't control his desires. You know, he's overtaken by his desire for Drusilla and can't control himself. So Paul is directly calling out Felix's sin to his face, okay? Um, and this is not really the tactic you would want to use if you're trying to get out of jail, right? I'm going to tell you where your faults are and your moral failures, right? Right to your face. That's not the, pra- the tactic you would use. But what Paul is doing here is he's showing his top priority is not getting out of prison. His top priority is living out his calling and sharing the gospel. And, and so this brings us to our first point. We must continue to live on mission even when things get hard, okay? And while Felix may have re, um, you know, limited uh, Paul's suffering in prison by allowing his friends to come and visit, it was still not easy. He's basically living in like a hole in the ground and... Um, you know, his, for the, however long he's in prison here, at least two years, okay? Cannot be an easy life. And something interesting about jails back then is they don't give you three square meals a day and you don't get recreation time to go out and be in the outside, right? He's, he's stuck in this cell and he's completely reliant on his friends to bring him food. The Roman government's not going to come bring you food, okay? He is reliant on his friends to come bring him food and things like that. So he's clearly suffering here, and I'm sure he also had the difficulty of, you know, being bold in his faith, even though this man holds his fate in his hands. You know, this guy will decide whether he lives or he dies, whether he's free or he stays in jail, right? So Paul is bold, and he's faithful to his calling by sharing the gospel with Felix here. So I think this just shows that sometimes our sufferings can be platforms for the mission that God has given us, okay? And I think one biblical example is Joseph. So if you don't know the story of Joseph, his brothers essentially sell him into slavery, and then he's falsely accused of a crime. He goes to jail. He helps a guy get out of jail, and then the guy forgets about him. And then eventually, uh, Joseph interprets a dream, and he saves Israel during this famine, okay? And so God used that suffering uh, uh, to save Israel and to save Joseph's family. So there's a greater, greater purpose, and he was, God used that for the mission he had for Joseph. But I think one example that I've seen in my life is my wife, Abby. She has a chronic illness, and she's had to go in for different surgeries and things like that, and they're obviously very painful and not a fun time 
to go through that. Um, but something that I've seen her, uh, her do is she continues to have a positive attitude and is very friendly with the nurses, and she's used that as a platform to share things with them, that even though there's pain and there's suffering, she still uses it as a platform to share her faith with others. And this isn't to say, like, oh, man, all the nurses on the floor got saved, and it was crazy, you know. But she was still faithful to her mission. And we see here Felix doesn't necessarily turn from his ways either, but, you know, Paul is still faithful in that, right? And this brings us to point number two. We must share the whole gospel, okay? Paul talks about the judgment that is coming in his defense and when he's sharing with Felix and his wife, okay? Um, and, and, you know, he, he says that, uh, that, that <clears throat> so sometimes it can be a temptation to only focus on, okay, we're just going to talk about faith, and Jesus is going to improve our life, and it's kind of more of a self-help type of Jesus, okay? But here we see that uh, Paul is sharing that there is judgment, okay? That's not very popular to talk about, you know? And I think it goes to show that the gospel has something that we're being saved from and something that we're being saved to, and we need to share both of those things with people, okay? Uh, Paul clearly talks about judgment, um, not a cheery topic, but it's necessary to learn about. And so we see that we need to be saved from our sin, okay? Paul talks about the righteousness, the self-control. He's clearly calling out Felix's faults here. Um, and, and, you know, our sin is just our missing the mark, our failure to live up to God's design, uh, and, and, you know, to really rebel against God. And this is our default position when we enter the world, okay? Romans 3.23 talks about how we have all sinned, okay? All of us, no matter who we are, have sinned. And, and later on in the same chapter, Paul tells us that none of us are on our own can pay the price for falling short of this sin. We can't do it on our own. We are trapped in our sin. Um, and, and Jesus was very clear about the judgment that will come and that we will face eternal punishment for our sins, okay? Jesus talked about this more than he talked about heaven, all right? And, and this is just a well-known fact about the Gospels, is Jesus is talking about this judgment that will come. But there is also hope in Jesus too, right? Later on in Romans 3, it talks about how Jesus has paid the price for our sin. He is the propitiation, is the fancy word that it uses for that. And this shows God's righteousness that he will pass over our sins and we no longer have to pay the price if we have faith in Jesus, okay? So, so it tells us that we can be made right by the sacrifice from Jesus. So we're saved from our sin, are not, are missing the mark, and, and all that. We can be saved from that in faith in Jesus, okay? And this is exactly, like I said, just what Paul is talking about with righteousness and self-control, okay? Um, <clears throat> so the reality is that when we are made new in Christ and we have faith in him, we are a new creation, and this should reflect the way we live, okay? So now we're saved to something. We're saved from the sin, and we're saved to a new life in Christ. So this means giving up the sinful practices, okay? This means for Felix, you know, figuring out his marriage and things like that with his multiple wives, and, you know, figuring out how he's ruling in this unjust way and things like that. Um, and we see that uh, one of the reasons that God saves us is to do good works. Ephesians 2.10 says this is one of the reasons God saved us is that we can live for him. Um, and, and later on, Paul also talks about how faith without works is dead. We need to live in the new way, right? Uh, you know, James is all about that. You know, it's, he goes on to say that, you know, if we don't have works, then our faith is dead. That's not that our works save us, our faith saves us, but when we are truly made new in Christ, we live in a way that is like that. Um, so we've been saved from our sin by faith in Christ 
to good works, which God has given us the Holy Spirit to empower us. That's what we saw early on in Acts, right? Um, But to focus in on Felix again, we see that he's instantly uncomfortable when Paul is talking about this, okay? We see that he sends Paul away after he hears this presentation. So Felix uh, has this gospel presentation, and he understands true facts about the way, what they believe, and what they do. Um, but then he, he's not responding to it. And this happens, okay? Every time we share the gospel, it doesn't mean that, you know, somebody's going to be saved or anything like that, okay? This is the reality. And this made me think of uh, in Matthew where Jesus talks about the rich young ruler. So what happens is this man comes up to Jesus and he says, what must I do to have eternal life? And then Jesus and this guy have this conversation. They talk about the law, and the guy's like, yeah, I've done that, I've done that, and he checks all the boxes of these things. And then Jesus says, you know, okay, well, go sell all that you have and follow me. And this really threw everybody off because they're like, okay, this guy was so moral, he did all these things right, how come he's not going to be saved, right? And, And so it really confused their disciples. But what Jesus says is that it is only by God alone that we can be saved. It's impossible in in and of ourselves that we can be saved, okay? That we need uh, faith in Jesus that God gives us to be saved, all right? And and the point is not that we need to sell all of our possessions, but that faith in Jesus and that that changing that God does in our hearts saves us, okay? And, And what we see with Felix is the same thing that we see with the rich young ruler, that when he sees the price of following Jesus, that he doesn't want to pay that price, okay? Felix is not willing to give up his, uh, his lifestyle with his wives, and he's not willing to change his heart for this, okay? And I, I think this should caution us here as well. We should, you know, maybe we come to church regularly, maybe we read our Bibles regularly, and maybe um, <clears throat> we have an accurate knowledge of theology and things like that. Like Felix knew the- some theology, he knew things about the church, okay? But none of these things in and of themselves save us, right? Not going to church saves us, not, uh, you know, reading a bunch of the Bible saves us, but it's faith in Jesus that saves us, okay? So we can't, doing these things or knowing these things don't save us. It's by faith alone that we're saved. Um, and if we think about it, if we're faithful to the mission that we have of going and making disciples, we need to know the whole gospel to go share it with other people. We need to know that we're saved from something and to something else if we're going to go share that with other people. And so this brings us to point number three, that being faithful to our calling doesn't mean that God will take away the suffering right now. So we see in verse 27, Paul is still held by Felix, one for a chance at a bribe, and he wants to win the political points with the Jews. So Paul is bold and proclaims the whole gospel to the people here, and uh, you know he, he lives up to his mission and his calling, but then he doesn't get out of prison as a result, okay? And sometimes we can have this notion that when we're living faithfully for God, God's going to give us something in return, okay? Kind of like a one-to-one uh, relationship with uh, how we're serving God, okay? And this is the wrong way to think about it. Yes, God tells us that when we, when we do good things for Him, that we have rewards in heaven that we can look forward to, absolutely. But that doesn't mean that our, our suffering right now is necessarily going to change. It doesn't mean that if we have some sort of disease, He's going to instantly heal us from it if we're faithful in some area, okay? We don't see that one-to-one correlation, um, Um, And I think what we see in church tradition and history is that a lot of the apostles were faithful to the mission that God has given them, and they died in in brutal ways. They were beheaded, they were whipped to death, and and all these things, you know, not not things to look forward to necessarily, but these men were faithful even when it was costly to do so, okay? 
And I think we've said this multiple times, but we don't face that type of persecution in America right now of, of we're not going to go and be killed for having this service today, right? But we might face more of like a social pressure from our friends and things like that. that that's to be expected. Um, but, but when we have these difficult times and when we suffer for our faith, we need to cling to Jesus. And our endurance comes from being this new creation in Christ when we have these hard things happen. It doesn't mean that things won't still be hard, but we can lean into Jesus during these times, you know. And if anyone tells you that being a Christian is going to be easy, that they're, they're just lying to you. This is not what we see in church history. This is not what we see in the early church here as well. Um, you know, if you read the book of First Peter, Peter urges the people to continue on in their faith even though they know that suffering is coming for them, okay? Peter tells them to remember their salvation, that they have been made right with God, and they're in relationship with Jesus, and hold on to their hope in eternity future. Um, and this is what we see Paul doing in uh, verses 15 and 16. Paul is always seeking to do what is right before God, okay? Because he knows that he will face judgment, and he knows that he's been made right in Jesus when that judgment comes, okay? He, he can hold on to that future hope in this trial, that he can look forward to his reward in heaven. Um, so he holds on to God's promises in those tough times. So you, you, know, you might be thinking, oh, this is very uplifting message, right? We're going to suffer. It's not necessarily going to be easy, and the suffering won't go away right away, okay? You know, I could get how you'd see that. Um, but I think if we don't cover things like this, we have false expectations of what the Christian life will be like when we go to live it out. And when we do face these hard times, if we say, oh, it's just going to be great, and then you face suffering, you're not going to necessarily know what to do with it. Um, uh, so, you know, but I don't think we can be faithful to this passage in God's Word without telling you about this suffering. You know, things can be hard when we're living out the Christian life, okay? And things can be hard when we proclaim the whole gospel, and things can continue to be hard even after we've been faithful. Um, but there's still hope for us in these hard things. You know, we can cling to the fact that we have faith in Christ in these hard times, and that there is no condemnation for us. We can cling to the fact that we are made clean from our sin by the work Jesus did on the cross, and we can cling to our Christian community because we're now part of the body of Christ as a result of what Jesus has done. And we can cling to the future hope that we will no longer have any pain and suffering when we are with God in heaven. We need to cling to these things when hard times come. So th these are the things that Paul tells us he clings onto when he's in jail. Um, in a second, we're going to read uh, Philippians 3, which Paul writes while he is in prison. He is currently suffering when he writes these things. So he has lived it. He has walked the walk, and he knows what he needs to hang, hold on to when he's suffering. So we'll read Philippians 3, 7 through 14 here, and it'll come up on the screen. And Paul writes this when he is suffering. He says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith, in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of the resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. 
Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but, this, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies ahead, or what lies behind, and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So this is what Paul is holding on to while he's in jail. He's holding on to this future that he has with Christ. He's holding on to the fact that he can rest in Christ's sacrifice for him. So I, I just want to go over two quick questions as we wrap up to ask ourselves this week. And, and as we go through these questions, we want you to think about them, talk about them with one another, and how we can live these things out, all right? So question one, will I continue on mission even when things get hard? Um, we know that there will be times when living the Christian life will be hard, but are we prepared for that? Like I talked about, you know, Peter tells us, do not be surprised when the fiery trial comes for us, you know. We need to be ready for that, and we need to know that we can cling to these promises that God has given us, that we have a future hope. And then question two, are we sharing the whole gospel, or, or do you even know the whole gospel? You know, maybe you have not heard the whole gospel, that God saves us from our sin to a new life in Christ before, but, but we want to rest in that gospel. And so if you haven't heard that before, we'd love to talk with you after the service, talk to me, talk to Joe, and we'd love to share more about that with you. Um, but also, as we go out and share the gospel with people, we want to be clear about what we believe. We believe that we are all sinners in need of a Savior, right? We want to be clear about that. And then we want to be clear about that, yes, you know, God may ask us to give up certain sin areas in our life. That is what will happen as God changes our heart. It's a natural flow of that faith in Jesus. So we need to know the whole gospel and proclaim it. So just reflect on these things uh, this week. Continue, continue on in God's mission of going and making disciples. So just remember these two questions, you know, are we sharing the whole gospel, and will we continue on even when the mission gets hard? Let's pray. God, we just thank you for this time where we can gather together, Lord. Um, we just thank you that we can, we can gather together based around the gospel and the good work, Jesus, that you have done for us, Lord. We're just so thankful for your sacrifice, Jesus, that, that you were willing to die for us while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies, God. You were willing to die for us, Lord. I just pray that we would remember that as we go out this week and as we continue to live out the entire Christian life, Lord, that we'd, we'd hold on to that, that we'd hold on to the promise of our future hope in heaven with you, that we can really rest in the fact that we will have no pain and no suffering when we're with you in heaven, Lord. Let, let us think on that even when things get hard, that we would remember that. And I just pray that we would be a community that, that comes together when we're suffering, Lord, that we could encourage one another with your promises, Lord, and, and we can be there for one another because we are the body of Christ, that one of, one of us hurts, we also hurt, Lord, and that we can enter into that space with the truth of the gospel, Lord, that we would remember that. God, we just ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.